Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest, Bob Cargill, was the New England Direct Marketing Association's Direct Marketer of the Year in 2009. He's an adjunct professor, copywriter, content creator, social media consultant, and public speaker who has worked for some 500 or so different clients over the years. His work has been recognized with over 40 awards from the New England Direct Marketing Association, including gold for his blog on marketing, gold for best tweets, silver for best copywriting, and two silvers for his video series about social media on LinkedIn. Bob is the current president of the American Marketing Association, Boston, for which he was the president from 2018 to 2020, and the past president of the New England Direct Marketing Association from 1999 to 2000. In addition to hosting his own podcast on marketing and recording YouTube videos about social media on a weekly basis, Bob also contributes regularly to his blog at thebobcargill.com, which he began writing in 2004. Bob currently resides in Sudbury, Massachusetts with his wife, Barbara, with whom he shares two sons, Scott and Ben, and two stepchildren, David and Sophie. Bob, thank you so much for being on. You have quite the experience and quite the uh, street credibility here for all the great things you've done. That's for sure. One thing interesting in your bio that I had not heard about are these gold and silver awards. So the most interesting one to me was gold for best tweets and two silvers for your video series on LinkedIn. And it's so funny because I feel, I mean, I always preach social media through and through is you need to be on it. You need to do it. This is, if you're, in my opinion, if you're not on social media as a business owner, you're losing out. But what do you think are some of the common mistakes business owners do or anyone for that matter when it comes to their social media? Yeah, that's a great question, Angela. And I have no idea where to begin because frankly, I have a long list. <laughs> we got <up> time. <laughs> and not hating on businesses and brands, no criticism intended at all. Hey, maybe that's good for me. I get lots of clients this way and that's why I'm teaching social media. And it's because it's still misunderstood, I, I think. And so not being on social media, first and foremost, they, they need to at least be trying, be establishing a presence. And so many are afraid to get on social media, afraid of making mistakes, afraid of technology, afraid of making errors. And yeah, there's a lot of that as a possibility, but you can't worry or it's analysis paralysis. I mean, you will fall dangerously far behind. So first of all, get on social media. Then when they get on social media, they're forgetting the social in social media. So it's like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in that they're trying to fit their other marketing methods and strategies and tactics into their social media activities. They're trying to just, you know, go from one channel to another to, oh, let's do this on social media too and see if it works. And it won't work. So they're dropping the ball. And yeah, I say, don't be afraid of making mistakes. And so maybe I'm proving their point because they are making mistakes, but <laughs> it's not that complicated. Listen to someone you know, like myself or someone like you, Angela, or hey, read a book, watch a, you know, watch a video, listen to a great podcast like this one, and they should be able to get it. I think it's a matter of putting the selling, the marketing and sales down the list after they 
establish that presence, build an audience, listen and learn, entertain, inform, educate, then maybe, you know, at the bottom of the list. And I know, yeah, they want to put that at the top of the list, the sales and marketing, but they don't realize that indirectly it will rise to the top if they earn people's trust, if they capture people's attention, if they engage with them, if they show that they're listening. And then they will sell and be able to market effectively. But it's really the opposite of of how a lot of them have been doing things over the years, certainly the traditional marketers. So there's many mistakes and it it can be from just strategy tactics to technology to understaffing. It's just very, very misunderstood. And, and I will say some big brands and some big businesses, sure, are getting it as are many individuals and, and yay, yay, yay. But I think social media has got a long way to go, how we use it. And um, we're only scratching the surface at this point in 2022. Well, and it's interesting too, because it's like anything in life, like you didn't just pick up a basketball and we're really good at basketball. Anyone that's in the NBA or WNBA, I mean, it's you you practice. One of my favorite, well, actually my favorite book is Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, if you haven't read it. Yes, I have. Yeah. Good. Love that. The 10,000 hour rule yep. of you put 10,000 hours into something, you are this expert. And that's where I think people just expect it to be an overnight success. It's like anything. Some things are great. Some things are not. And you just roll with it. That's just my opinion. And I never touched social media until a few years ago. And now having my company and we get so many leads from social media or now from this podcast, which is super exciting. But it's not that you have to scream in someone's face about sales. They will work with you because they like you, as I'm sure you tell your clients as well. Because you're creating entertaining, educational, informative content, Angela, and you have a regular presence, people develop these parasocial relationships with you and others who are out there, myself, hopefully, ideally. I think that's what I've seen over the years. They feel they know you. And if you're authentic and genuine and transparent, ideally, over time, they're going to like you. I mean, some probably, you know, won't won't like me more, will like you. But and I'm, I'm joking. It's true. You don't. You they, don't like any everyone. <laughs> I don't like everyone. I don't expect everyone to like me. Yeah, we're not for nobody's for everybody. Right. But let's say the majority. <laughs> if we put ourselves out there, people like honesty. People like people who aren't trying to pull the wool over their eyes. So, and frankly, there's more and more of the opposite in this world. You know, I think trust has eroded over the years. Frankly, you know, not a lot of people like advertising anymore or marketing. They prefer relationships. So we build relationships with people online. Parasocial means they feel like they know you. They might not even have met you, but they, over time, like you. Over time, trust you, ideally. And over time, when it comes time to doing business, they do business with you. I'm going to segue, if you don't mind, and steal. Yes, do it. A moment to follow up on something you mentioned, and that's Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000-hour rule. I do a ton of videos. Some of them are motivational, and I have one where I talk about practice makes perfect, and it's a perfect analogy. You kind of set me up for this, meaning, you know, your story. I told you we were kindred spirits. You did, see? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a video where I talk about when I played basketball back in the day. Again, my back in the day was a long time ago. 
And I sat on the bench. I wanted to break into the starting lineup. And I never did in basketball. But then it led to my high school um, career in running track and cross country, which has stuck to this day. But that's a whole nother story. But I was sat on the bench in basketball. Basketball was the sport I wanted to start the, the very, very, very most. And I would practice day in, day out on my own. I went to basketball camp. I shot, you know, layups, uh, jump shots. We didn't have the three point shot back then, but I set shots, jump shots, free throws. And I wouldn't leave when I would practice. We had a hoop out in the road in front of our house. Or if I was playing on my friend's house, David's or Mark's, my other friends, or down at Fletcher Field in the ridiculously awesome town of Franklin, Massachusetts, the town in which I grew up. Couldn't leave unless I hit 10 free throws. It might not sound like a lot in a row. And I sometimes be there like, you know, an hour or two. <laughs> it is hard in a row. Yes, yeah, it in is. A row for, right. for me, not Michael Jordan or, or some, you know, maybe that's why I didn't uh, break into starting lineup. <laughs> but anyways, the point was I felt practice makes perfect. So when I did get in that game, the last couple minutes, and I did get a chance to hit a free throw, hopefully I would hit it. Again, maybe I didn't. And that's why maybe I didn't practice enough. My point is practice does make perfect. And that's why I get on social media because you really can't practice social media unless you are on social media. So don't be afraid of making mistakes. Try, try, try again. And eventually you will succeed over and over again. That's so funny. I did not know you played basketball. I played basketball for eight years. So funny that I brought the NBA reference up. So see, look at us. Lots in common. Yes. That's so funny. And we, we had to do that at practice too. our JV coach. You were not allowed to leave until you hit 10 in a row. And some of us would be there a very long time. So <laughs> I feel that it is hard. It's harder than people think. It is. Now you have this huge list of clients when I checked out your website and it's literally a scrolling list of all the incredible things you've done. Have you had any specific favorite projects or favorite clients you've worked with? Because you have a plethora of services you offer. Yeah, countless. I mean, sure, there were challenging jobs over the years, challenging clients. But yeah, out of you know 500 plus clients, there's sure to be many highlights. And you know, one comes to mind, and this one was uh, the best client of all. And that was for myself <laughs> when I had my own <laughs> business. That. I'll never forget. And I can name others, and I want to name others after this. Just a couple others, but the most favorite, and I tell this story a lot, was I to develop my own business and reach clients. So this is pre-internet days. Half my career has been pre-internet and pretty much the second half so far, because I do tell people, well, maybe it was the first third before the internet, second third up until now, and I still got a third third coming. That's what I hope. That's my goal. Before the internet, I did a ton of direct mail. I was known to do direct mail for magazines and direct mail for nonprofits. And when I started my own business, I had a lot of business, which was great. I kept very, very busy. Part of it was because I was good, I think, patting myself on the back, if you will, <laughs> with the self-promotion. You, you can tell I'm not shy about promoting. <laughs> Just look behind me. A lot of um, signs and bright colors and, hey, I do this. Hey, I do that. I went to the Home Depot and bought 100 mailboxes, big metal mailboxes. I hired a painter to paint each and every one of them. And I kind of said, just do what you want to do. Do what you do well. You know, it could be graffiti, could be flowers, could be whatever. Really bright colored mailboxes were painted. This is adding up already for me in cost. Then I put 
in these mailboxes, samples of my work. And I sent them to 100 prospects. And I got known as the mailbox guy because they would get this big box, a mailbox that they keep could keep on their own with samples of my work. And the whole point was, hey, I do direct mail. I create the stuff that you can send to your audience that arrives in their mailboxes and that will help them, you know, reel in, that's supposed to be a fishing rod, reel in <laughs> big fish, big clients yourself. So it did really, really well for me. Uh, got me a good reputation. I, I hope it was good for being very, very promotional. Can I name a couple others, quickies? Absolutely. I did a ton of work for nonprofits back in the day, and that was always very, very rewarding. There is an organization here in the Boston area, I believe they're still around, called the Home for Little Wanderers. And I, when I worked for a great agency, L.W. Robbins, we did direct mail fundraising for the Home for Little Wanderers. And a side benefit to us having them as a client was me being a runner. I got to run the Boston Marathon for them and fundraise for them at the same time, like officially. So I got an official number to run the Boston Marathon and raise funds for them. So that was a super, super exciting client to have. And then I, I, that's crazy. Go ahead. And he keeps talking. No, I love it. Yeah, talk it. Do it. I you're making my job easy. I'm just like, you're just incredible. Like who thinks it's a paint mailboxes? But I that's I just hung up on that. But go ahead. You're doing great. You you're very kind. As she puts her finger on the mute button. Um <laughs> <laughs> when social media came around, is happy and excited and elated and relatively successful I was doing direct mail in print. I couldn't have been happier for the internet and social media. So having my work as social media evolved and brands and businesses in where I work figured out how to use social media, and I finally got that full-time job at Overdrive Interactive. Thank you, Harry, for hiring me there. For four years, I was director of social media, and we worked on some very, very exciting clients. I couldn't have been more proud to have started my blog in 04 and around the year 2012, 13, to be doing social media full time. So that's not necessarily a client or a project. That's a job that I couldn't have been more proud to have because my career then, in a way, trying to inch over. So, you know, over here, the name of my book is 20 Jobs, 20 Lessons, A Long Strange Career in Marketing from Junk Mail to Social Media. So in a way, I felt, yeah, I kind of closed the loop. I mean, I'm still going like an Energizer bunny, but I love so far how my career has gone, not necessarily because of great strategic planning on my part, pretty much serendipity. Well, and something that I feel is so unique about you is anyone that I feel did either direct marketing, print marketing before the days of social media is no longer in business or just kind of stayed I don't want to say stuck. I mean, kind of stuck in their ways of this is how I know this is what I'm going to stick with. And this is where I'm going to live. You are completely different. I mean, you rolled with all new technology, social media being a thing, the internet being a thing. How did you keep up with that? And how do you still keep up with that? Because it's very impressive. Thank you, Angela. Um, No, I felt like I was swimming upstream for a number of years. I was, again, talking about blogs before people knew what that meant, jumping on social media and even 10, 15 years ago, I was, you know, who's this old guy using social media? (laughs) (laughs) And I joke, but I was so used to, I became so used to telling 
anybody with an earshot, you got to get on social media. You got to learn social media. And again, that's still what I'm telling people. And that's my book's riddled with those stories where I had a day job, you know, of, of writing direct mail because that's what I had done most of my career. That's what I was known to be good at. Yet I wasn't really enjoying it. Like I was enjoying what I did at night, the moonlighting, the time writing my own blog, the time, you know, spent learning Twitter and learning Instagram, um, Vine, you know, which, which died on the Vine, but you know, that was creative videos. I, I was doing all of that on my own time and trying to convince my employers we should be doing this. So for some reason, you know, I say in my book about some of the mistakes, quite a few of them I made um, over my career, but embracing social media was not one of them. It, although I will say it might have, it might have been a mixed blessing for me because I was not always happy, as happy as I could be doing what I was doing for work, even though it was a great job and great people I was working with. I always wanted to get into social media full time. So it was creating a tad unhappiness. But looking back, it's all, I think, happened for a reason and led me to here. How do I do it? I will say again, there's a price I've paid. A lot of extra hours, a lot of fighting burnout, a lot of, yeah, stress to this day. I I answer the question all the time. How do I, and you do look me up in social, and I think you have, and you see I'm all over the place. And that can have its downside. You know, it's from the moment I wake up, you know, looking at my phone in bed to, you know, not frankly, you know, watching enough Netflix with Barbara, my wife. We both love watching our shows on Netflix, but I'll feel I have to answer, you know, the most successful you are on social media, you're getting a, a lot of people you have to respond to and the ante just keeps upping. I have to create another video. I have to write another blog post. So it doesn't stop. I've created a monster, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that too. My uh, my boyfriend just knows now. He's like, oh, are you doing a TikTok? I'm like, sure am. So you better smile in it because you're going to be in it. And Angela, don't those TikToks take more time than people realize? They do. And this is something I learned of if you know what you know and hire where you don't. So I did a TikTok boot camp with someone I really liked. And now it's like, it's easy to me. It's as easy as LinkedIn wow. or a Facebook post. And now I'm like, oh, boop, 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 done. Some of them do take a lot of time. And as you know, having your YouTube channel, that videos do take some time to get them good. But yeah, it's a lot of work. I bet you, and I think it's okay to admit this, that we really haven't talked much until today. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not like I know your business inside and out, but I'm <laughs> right. betting you are a better, better business person than I ever was because <laughs> I always said I'm very right brain, very creative. I'm great at pumping out the content, creating the content, but, you know, monetizing it, forming a, you know, project plan for myself or for others. I'm not necessarily that kind of person. I love people. I'm great. Like, I shouldn't say I'm great. I'm, I've been told I'm very good with people. But again, I'm not the business person. I sense you are. So kudos and props to you if you're figuring all this out many years earlier than I ever did. <laughs> well, my employees, they, I, I am a very much a visionary, a creative, but I do have ADHD, like very bad ADHD. So I sometimes I'm like, we should do this. Why don't we do that? And they're like, Angela. One project at a time, please. But it makes me creative and have really good ideas at like 11.30 p.m. on a Saturday. Like, yeah. this is a good idea. Let's implement it on Monday. But I do have my moments and 
I like to learn, but it's it's just like a learning curve. And I think that goes into confidence with this. I mean, you talked about confidence before, like, you know, you're going to fail and you're going to be successful, but I would not have been here. I mean, I got fired from my job. Anyone listening that is, I'm sure heard this story 5 million times, but it's not a glorious story. And I'm sure in your book too, that I am going to buy and read that you talk about the you know, not so serendipitous or not so pretty end of starting your own business or doing this full time. And so it does take over your life. And I have also created a monster. I'm like, Oh, I have five minutes. Let's answer comments. Let's go back. We need a post. This is a good LinkedIn post. Let's do that. So I feel that to my core. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And what I, if you don't mind me saying so, um, pace yourself because I have suffered, um, lack of a better word, I don't mean literally, you know, writhing in, in pain, but I, <laughs> right. figuratively speaking, I have suffered burnout off and on, you know, my whole career and also stress, anxiety and, and depression. Oh my God, now he's spilling his guts. Um, <laughs> do it. We love it. Hey, let's do it. You know, and I do think a lot of it, yeah, some of it comes from my childhood and, and just genetics and absolutely some of it comes from my career you know, the pressures I put on myself and the hard knocks of working in, in the agency environment for so many years in, in creative, you know, deadlines, um, multiple clients. And again, you're getting a look inside my mind in terms of, you know, never been diagnosed, but probably a little bit ADHD, you know, in terms of, you know, I am quite energetic. I am quite all over the place, but I'd like to think in a good way. But sometimes I think it gets the best of me, maybe not those around me, but up here, it's sometimes hard to deal with. (laughs) It's a lot. I'm like, wait, some people just don't think of anything. Like you could sit there and not think of something. That's crazy to me, but we love individuals like that. But Oh yeah. That's what makes us all individual human beings unique. Yes. Exactly. Now I want to talk more about your book. Was this always a passion project? It's on my list. I'm like, I would love to write a book one day. I was going to school to be a journalist at one point. Now I write resumes, so kind of similar. But what went into you writing this book? And how did you feel when like, you have a book? Like, How cool are you? Thank you for saying that. Um, I don't know how cool I am, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm even cool at all. But thank you. It's funny. It, like pretty much everything else I've done, I, I did it. And then it's like, okay, now what? I... I've always been a writer. I kept journals starting in high school, you know, wrote for the high school newspaper, wrote for my college newspaper, almost went into journalism. I wrote a lot of poetry. I've just always been a content creator. And by content, I mean, you know, words mostly until social media came around with, you know, all the technology. And I'll get there with the answer. (laughs) And I did get a master's degree in, in television. So Ian wanted to be a DJ on the radio. So now you can see... A lot of multimedia, a lot of desire to express myself, a lot of desire to communicate and to as many people as possible. I always wanted to write a book, but I wasn't planning to write a book about my career. It was when I realized I had amassed this resume of so many jobs and a variety of experience that I strongly believed in. And I had heard over the years, occasionally, the haters, and I use that term loosely, you know, occasional jokes or, or even criticism. Let's say I interviewed for a job and I hated this question. So tell me, why did you only stay one year at Ugh. that job? Mm-hmm. And you've actually done that a few times. In fact, you've done that a lot of times. And that was always a tough question for me to answer. At a certain point in time, about five years ago, I said, I can write a book about this and 
put a positive spin on it and explain myself and turn it into an entertaining educational story and document, you know, what I felt really was, I believe to this day, a very solid, successful, relatively speaking. I'm no millionaire, not even close, but I'm rich in experience and colleagues and friendships and a portfolio. Thanks to all these different jobs I had, again, half before the internet and half after. So that became the book. (laughs) And it took me three years to write from like, well, it was published in June. I can't do the math, but three and a half years before that, I had started it. Beginning of 19, I had started it. So 19, 20, and 21. Yeah. And about six months and 22 to get it published, self-published. I dictated most of it, believe it or not, into my phone and then strung it together over and over and over again. I mean, there's the uh, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, I probably put 10,000 hours. I don't know what that equals up to. Maybe I put 100,000 hours into it, but getting it properly strung together. Each chapter is one of my jobs, including two surprise jobs, one before my career and one towards the end of it. I'm not going to give them away. You have to read the book, but I try to apply lessons to each one of them. And I think of this and I've been told by those who have read it, it's educational, it's helpful, it's entertaining, it's me. And there's also a ton of blog posts. Of course, I'd get that blog in there that I've written on social media. So it's kind of like, wow, you know, there was this thing called junk mail. There was this thing called email. There was this thing called blogging. There was this thing called Twitter. Oh, and now there's this thing called TikTok. So it's kind of the evolution and how, like you said, I've kind of gone with the flow and here I am teaching all this stuff. And, you know, I'm going to be that guy that will be, I think, teaching for a long time to come and still doing all this crazy stuff and teaching it to people like, you know, one fifth my age by the time I'm um, done. <laughs> How's that? I just figured it all out. You did. I mean, my future. Yeah, I love that. Hey. <laughs> the past, I, I, I know. That's all said and done. But yeah, I figured out the next 10, 15, 20 years of my life too. Well, and how fun will that be? And I'm sure your students are so lucky to have you. I mean, I still remember the professors that had an impact on me and that's something. It's just so great. So you remember the really bad ones, the really good ones. Oh, yeah. Always, right? Yes. I didn't always have, well, I didn't have enough of the good ones. I had some very, very good ones. But back in my day, they weren't as, they weren't like I think it is now, the educational environment. I think it's much more warm and friendly and supportive. Back in my day, I didn't think it was that way. But Mm -mm. that's a whole nother story, too. (laughs) I think we need another book out. Well, I I have to see what's in this one first. But I feel like you you need to write another book after this. Don't feel like you got it all in this one. Now that I know how to do it now. So I said about project management. And now I got, though, a a project managing tool up here and how to get it done. So see, there could be another one. (laughs) Amazing. Now, another facet of you is that you've done a ton of public speaking. And funny enough, being a business owner, I've learned a lot of business owners don't like public speaking. And a lot of people in general just are terrified of public speaking. Has this always been like a natural gift for you? Or how have you overcome any of the nerves that I'm sure you have faced previously? Angela, you're very kind to ask all these great questions. And and I feel very guilty talking about myself so much. (laughs) No, this is what I want. I want to hear about you because you're so fascinating. No, I appreciate it. And I hope, you know, some days I'm more, you know, joking around. I think today I'm joking around a little bit um, than others, but it's actually a very serious topic. 
because I have alluded to back in the day, my parents and family were awesome. You're going to say, here he goes again. <laughs> I'm going to go way back before I answer the question. <laughs> so my parents, my family, my brother, my sister, some of my coaches, my friends, for the most part, all awesome, awesome. But I didn't grow up for some reason with a lot of self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that comes from, except I think I was brought up kind of in a rough and tumble uh, environment outside the home. Um, a lot of my friends were pretty tough. I think I was probably pretty tough, rough and tough, um, rough and tumble. And there might have been some bullying going on. And hey, I'm not saying I was completely innocent either. But I think what I'm saying is there might have been some emotional trauma. There might be some genetics here. There might be some school, might be some sports related. Anyways, I had a fear of public speaking. And I also had this fear, like deathly fear of authority figures. Like college, freshman year was overwhelming for me, very intimidating for me. So where am I going? I knew I needed to overcome that. So I was nervous when I would speak and didn't feel comfortable um, necessarily speaking up around authority figures or around people who I thought were all smarter than me, all tougher than me. But I took, yay, a good decision, a public speaking course in college. Then I did, yay, Toastmasters, which is a public speaking program. And I did that for a total of six years, two stints, one for five years, one for one year. Game changer. Absolutely. So knockout, TKO knockout to my fear of public speaking. I then realized what a superpower this is, what a awesome feeling it is. So I went from being afraid, nervous, having panic attacks, having, you know, because by the way, I did throw in, there was some anxiety and depression, you know, some of it still exists to this day. So I had to learn to overcome that. And I did and manage that. And I did. And I realized what a thrill I got being in front of an audience. And so this started like in the early 90s. I started doing seminars before there were webinars. <laughs> I would speak all the time. And I became the go-to guy, you know, to speak. I became at organizations, you know, if you are comfortable speaking in front of a group, it's going to lead to leadership opportunities. It's going to lead to self-confidence. So again, good decision. A lot of bad decisions, good decision. Toastmasters, good decision public speaking course in college, result more self-confidence, the result more accomplishments, more leadership opportunities to this day, you know, and now look, I teach in front of people, students, uh, adults, if it's a webinar or a seminar. I remember in a job interview a bunch of years ago when I was still in the corporate world, I remember one of my answers and maybe it wasn't the answer they were looking for, but, you know, I said at one point in time, they talked to me about managing a large team and I said, I feel at this point in my career, I can manage a team of any size. I said, if we're in this room one-on-one and you said, go outside this door and there's a hundred people are going to report to you, I'd feel just as comfortable talking to them one to 100 as I am talking to you one to one. So did that answer your question? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. You painted the picture. I like how you're answering these because a lot of people, and I'm not even, I'm not saying on my podcast, because I feel, I feel I've had a lot of great people that give the background, but I am biased since it's my own, but it's, it's just the understanding. And I love that you keep bringing out mental health because one of my other career paths was going to be a therapist. And I always say I'm a career therapist. So Whoa. funny enough. So I'm a big, big, big proponent and big cheerleader for mental health. That is something that wasn't talked about back in the day. That no. is something that wasn't addressed. So people had total freedom 
to wreak havoc <laughs> on the emotions of employees, students, friends, you name it. You know, again, hyperbole and exaggeration here, but to make my point. So the damage <laughs> is done, you know, and a lot of people my age, there was damage. And I'm not saying there isn't damage occurring left and right in today's world, because it just can happen just from being alive. But people got away with a lot more back in the day. And thankfully, it's now being addressed. And um, we're treating, I think, people more kindly. We're being kinder to each other. And I try to emphasize that. It's so, so important because you can just have a few experiences of emotional trauma that can last a lifetime. You absolutely can. Hey, I mean, it still happens in corporate settings. It still happens at companies. And I love that there's more resources and it's more talked about. But yeah, I mean... I even think this is still newer in the last few years, not even to say back in your day, because I even think, I mean, last five years, it's really been something. And I think I'm not going to say anything positive about the pandemic, but I think it was like, oh, look, look at all these mental health issues and Mm -hmm. everything we just sweep under the table because you had to come face to face with it. So, yes, you did answer my question how we got long winded there. We need to have like five other podcast episodes because I could I could keep going and I want to hear all your stories. I got time if you got time. Frankly, this is the last big work thing I have to do for the week. And not that this is a big work thing. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not a big work thing. This is supposed no. to be fun, Bob. Come on. Well, it's the last thing in my calendar. <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> but I'm going to go out for a run after this. Oh, <laughs> look at you. I got to get out there before dark, but I still have an hour or two. So before dark. You're so much fun. Keep the questions coming. I love it. Now, <laughs> kind of transitioning back, who do you ideally work with? Is it a certain type of people, a certain type of company? I mean, I always like to joke and I say my clients are usually the misfits or people that think differently from the corporate status. So do you have kind of ideal people you like to work with or even on the student side, students you love more or public speaking? I mean, there's so many facets of you. Where do we start? Yeah, I want to be clear that now most of what I do is the teaching. I have one client right now. Again, I had my business for seven years in the 90s. Off and on, occasionally in between jobs, I'd have stints of freelancing. I definitely had stints of moonlighting. And in the last five years, yeah, I've had a bunch of clients until the last three years or so when teaching's taken up almost all my time. But I can answer that question. Who generally have I worked with over the years? Who do I like to work with? I have always taken pride in being able to work with difficult clients because I like people and I try to see the positive in people. And I'm also not hesitant to go above and beyond, put in the extra hours. So I feel I've been pretty good at handling you know, difficult personalities or challenging clients. Who do I, you know, prefer to work with? People I enjoy most, you know, open, honest, easygoing, not nitpickers. Um, but I've worked with some really challenging clients over the years. I've worked in some really challenging work circumstances over the years, work environments. I can handle it. I can handle almost anything because of my upbringing, because of my sports when I was a kid, because of my running that I do to this day, marathons, et cetera, I'm a tough cookie. But what's funny is what I just said, see, that's the tough cookie in me speaking, but I'm also very sensitive, very emotional. And I think that's where I've taken a lot of hits over the years. I've not been afraid of tough circumstances, tough clients, tough jobs, long hours. It can take a toll. 
And you have to, and that's where I now take pride in trying to help younger people. I love my students. I love teaching. They listen. They care. They're enthusiastic, energetic. They have their whole future in front of them, professional journeys. So I try to share with them things I learned the hard way. And a lot of those things were, you know, still still may be learning the hard way, but fewer things now than, you know, in the past. So, yeah, I, I, I like nice people. But my past has not been necessarily full of all nice people or all easy circumstances, quite the contrary in some cases. I love that. Now, on that note, I love to ask this final question to all guests I have on the podcast. But what advice do you have for anyone listening right now? Yeah, like when you asked me what mistakes are people making in social media, I said, where do I begin? Um, (laughs) Where do I begin? Um, I have 250 pages of advice back here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just kidding. But I want to help people. And I want people to learn from mistakes I've made. And I know I've made a ton. But I've also done a lot of things well. I pack it in, good and bad. So it's not a hard question for me, Angela, because I'm thinking of the book and 20 lessons. And which one do I choose? Reach for the brass ring. And I have a story for that. You said he tells stories. Yeah, I do. Reach for the brass ring. Not everyone knows the brass ring really exists. If you do a carousel like I did growing up on the island of Martha's Vineyard, Oak Bluffs, off of Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard Island, has this old-fashioned carousel with horses you ride as a kid, and you reach for the brass ring. And you get, like I did as a kid, all the time, not the brass ring. But if you get the brass ring, you get a free ride. And it's a big effing deal. You know, if you get the brass ring, it's like, yay, I'm a winner. I want a free ride. You literally are a winner. You want a free ride. But a lot of people use the expression, I mean, you know, go for it all, reach above and beyond. And I've kind of coined that um, phrase, that story myself. And I did eventually get the brass ring. And I got it on the same ride, my wife and I as adults, like when we're shortly after we were married. So like 20 years after my childhood, I did finally get the brass ring and she got it on the same ride because on the carousel in Oak Bluffs, there's an inside set of horses and an outside set of horses. And on both sides, they have the the rail where you reach for the ring. And we both got it on the same (laughs) ride, which is amazing. We have a framed picture of the brass rings and me being the writer, content creator saying on this day, blah, 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 Bob and Barbara got the brass ring. There's my story. The point being, keep reaching for that brass ring because you will eventually get it if you keep reaching. I never got it as a kid. And literally, I, I say I'm emotional and sensitive. I was always hurt. I thought it was the world conspiring against me. Why the hell can't I get the brass ring? I eventually got it. Keep reaching for the brass ring. Keep going for it all. Keep going above and beyond. Keep going outside of your comfort zone. Keep pushing yourself. Keep believing in yourself. Ignore the critics, ignore the haters, ignore the self-negative talk. Be yourself. Be proud of yourself. Believe in yourself. You'll eventually get the brass ring. Oh, that was that was so good. You're incredible, Bob. This has been so much fun. Well, you made it possible, Angela. You're very kind and these were great questions and I think I'm getting wound up now after, you know, 40 or 50 minutes talking to you. I'm just getting on a roll. 
See, and, and that'll be good for your run. Now you'll be just so energized for your run. See, exactly. Yes, it will. No, perfect. Well, Bob, thank you so much. There's links in the show notes to Bob's book, his websites, all the 5,000 social media platforms he's on. You could see him in action. And tune in next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.